Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track podcast. How you all doing? Good, good. Glad to hear. Glad to hear. It's another week there for us, another episode. And today... We have Disco Royalty. We have Ralph Roll of Chic. I mean, does it get any bigger than that? Uh, Ralph came to East London and we, we sat down and, and had this wonderful chat. And, uh, and you're going to hear it in just a second. But firstly, want to thank 76 for producing this. Uh, want to thank Scribius Pip and everybody over at the Distraction Pieces Network. And if you enjoy this podcast, please go and have a look in the... The, the back catalogue because in the in the vaults there's there's over 70 episodes now and and I get to chat to all manner of amazing musicians producers DJs actors go and have a look um, because I'm sure you'll find some stuff in there that is going to interest you and if that's not enough I also have a Patreon page each week I put up a unique episode over there as well so you can go and check that out if you get time and there's merch and stuff like that but the one-stop shop for all of this where you can just go and it'll show you everything is www.offthebeatandtrackpodcast.com anyway that's enough from me let's get on with today's guest please enjoy Off The Beat and Track with Ralph Roll of Chic. I've got an announcement. Save Our Souls Clothing. www.sosclothing.co.uk Why am I telling you this? Because they're our official sponsor. Yeah, that's right. Go and check them out because their clothing is off the scale. You're going to love it. So they've decided they want to be our sponsor, which is amazing. And what I have to do is I have to tell you about why they're amazing. So here's a little bit of blurb. So they've only been going a year, and they're based in Southend-on-Sea, just up the road from me. They put the company together based on a, a love of tattoos and alternative music, and they've worked with some of the greatest artists around the world to produce these items of clothing that are as unique as you lot. All of the designs are printed using biodegradable, sustainable and water-based inks. And in addition to that, they only print on garments made by members of Fairwear Foundation. I mean, come on, great clothing and a conscience. Since going live in April last year, they've seen their audience grow massively and are now selling orders all across the world. And they were recognised by Cosmopolitan magazine as one of the best sustainable clothing brands alongside names such as Stella McCartney. I mean, that's quite a first year, right? So, go and check them out. 
because they've put a lot of love into supporting this podcast and I couldn't be happier. What else they've done is they've given you 15% off. So if you head over to www.sosclothing.co.uk, do a bit of shopping, see what you like, throw it in the basket, and then on the way out, put in the discount code BEAT15. B-E-A-T-1-5. And that'll save you 15% off. Amazing, right? www.sosclothing.co.uk Official sponsors of Off The Beaten Track Podcast. Let's get back to that podcast. It's Off The Beaten Track Podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Dropping some beats without a drum kit is today's guest. Joining us for Off The Beaten Track Podcast is drummer extraordinaire, member of Chic, Ralph Roll. Hello. Hey, how you doing? I'm good. So now you have your official entrance music. <laughs> and do you know what? When we drop the music in at the beginning, it's not that dissimilar from the beat really? we just dropped. Yeah. <laughs> okay, I you can do it again. I I'm sorry, I'll be quiet. Mate, you're more than welcome. <laughs> Thanks ever so much for joining me. I'm really glad to be here. Thank you for having me. Why are you uh, in the UK at the moment? What's been happening? A uh, few things. Um, I'm here on this side of the pond for meetings. Mm-hmm. I'm doing some master classes. I'm doing some one-to-one lessons. I did a gig with uh, Nal Rogers and Sheik. So I've been over here kind of busy. Yeah. I, haven't, I haven't slept in 30 days. So You're looking good on it, mate. Coffee. I just <laughs> It's a new thing in my life. It really is. Like black coffee. Well, let's get straight into it. And we always start this podcast, Ralph, with track one, which is the song with the greatest ever intro. <laughs> well, you know, there's only one great song with the greatest intro ever in history. Okay. Of great. It's Rock With You. Michael Jackson. Yes. <laughs> See, as a drummer, surely there must be so many intros with just extraordinary drum breaks to start. Like hip-hop, oh. every hip-hop track, you know... Just drop straight in with just some monster drum sound. Exactly. Well, you know, coming up, many songs had very distinctive yeah. drum intros. Like, if I sing a drum intro right now, yeah. you probably, as a DJ, well, you probably would know what it yeah. is. Yeah, yeah. See? See? Everybody, everyone knows there's Brickhouse. Yeah, you yeah. Know, there's so many great drum intros, you know. Brickhouse was the name of the independent record shop in my area. Really? When Brickhouse. I was a kid. Nice. And, uh, and so that was in the sort of mid to late 80s, I would go and get my uh, my, my Van Dross albums and my uh, my Sherrick albums and stuff like that from Brickhouse Records. And, uh, and that was... Obviously, named Brickass after after the tune. Yeah, well, that was that was the thing when I was sort of thirteen, fourteen. Soul scene in the UK, you know, exploded then with Mm. him and Alexander O'Neill, and just blew up over here again. And uh, yeah, yeah, I was I was recording the podcast yesterday, and we went off on a tangent. We was talking David Bowie, and it it led into um, Luther doing the uh, harmonies on Young Americans and stuff like that. And, oh, yeah, what a voice. What a voice. Amazing. I love him so much. So, I like to talk about intros because, I mean, where where to start? I mean, Sheik never struggle with an intro, do they? I mean, that's 
just a masterclass of intros, isn't it? <laughs> the most, to me, the most distinctive Nah Rogers and Bernard Edwards intro on drums is for I Want Your Love. Yeah. Oh. That, you know, that the sound alone. Yeah. The drum sound on that track. Yeah. Is, uh, uh, it's, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. You know, you, you know it's time to get up and dance. So, yeah. Yeah, that's a great drum intro. I've got so many questions to ask you. But, I'm here. Let's do it. Um, was there any other sort of honorable mentions before you, you settled on Jackson? Um, as far as songs? Yeah, for intros. Uh, uh, I, I don't know. Did I, did I give you Billy Ocean? No. Which one? One of These Nights. Mm, true. That is a combination of drums and keyboards. Mm. And the song itself is still funky to this day. Mm. Any DJ that throws that in a the mix, they'll guarantee to get a great response from it. It's a great, great song. So did Billy Ocean have big commercial success in the States as well? Well, well what usually happens in, in, from what I, the way how I teach it in Music Business 101, many artists start out with songs that are something that the general public can grab a hold of mm. and be able to actually dance to. Sure. There was a show for many years in America called American Bandstand, and mm -hmm. they used to have this very short segment where they would introduce a new song. But every week, the kids would say exactly the same, exactly the same thing. They would play the songs, the kids would dance, and then Dick Clark would come back and say, so what do you think? He says, well, you know, it has a great beat. I can dance to it. Yeah. Okay, I'll give it a 10. Yeah. And then next week, so what do you think of this song? It has a great beat. I can, so if anyone's following, all of the great artists that I can look back on started with songs with a great beat that people could dance to it yeah. that people would give it a 10. Yeah. All of Motown started that way. Yeah. Madonna started that way. Um, talking about the Commodores. The Commodores started with music that you can dance to. Yeah. Cool in the Gang. It goes on and on. Aretha Franklin. I, I, I can go on all day with Music yeah. Business 101. Yeah. And then once you gain your audience, you can basically take them wherever you want because they love you so much. They're on that, board, don't they? Right. They're, they're, they won't write you that, that Dear John letter like, you know, I really yeah. don't like you anymore because, you, you know, you have to first gain the audience. Mm. And many artists have done it with dance music. Madonna's went on to do all different types of music, yeah. but she started out doing dance music. Yeah. You know? Well, let's go back then, because it seems quite fitting, because that's what track two is. And, and I'm going to ask you what the, the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, Ralph. The that had a serious, like, emotional... Yeah, well, it hasn't necessarily got to be sadness. It could be joy. It could be wonder. It could be, it could be anything. The first song that I fell in love with in my life is a song called All Day Will Come. Okay by a group called Ruby and the Romantics. I've this, heard it now, but I hadn't heard it until you sent it this over. This song is 10 decades old. Yeah. It's got a, like a, it's a samba kind of groove, and it's a beautiful, beautiful melody. And the track, the, the, the actual composition and production is great. That was the first song that I actually would, every time I would hear it, it would just take me somewhere. First time. And what was that feeling, though? Uh, just comfort. Yeah. Oh, nice. You know, very comforting, very beautiful. I love the lyrics. Our day will come. We'll yeah. have everything. I was a kid. I don't know about love. Yeah. But that song just was so beautiful to me. And even yeah. to this day, it just has this very swaying kind of seaside, yeah. samba-ish groove that I, I love. 
So where would you have heard that? Where was home then? Where was you born? Bronx, New York. Bronx River Projects, 1595 East, 174th Street, Apartment 3F. <laughs> <laughs> I'm impressed. <laughs> um, I mean, tell, tell us a little bit what the Bronx was like then. Because, you know, we, I've come from a, a... I'm at an age where throughout the 80s I was watching films all about the horrors of the Bronx. Exactly. And oddly enough, in many interviews, that's what people harken back to sure. is that time because it was probably the most provocative time in the Bronx. And you know, bad news sells. So they're not going to talk about of course. The, the Yankees or they're not going to talk about the biggest zoological park in the East Coast, probably the United States, which sure. is the Bronx Zoo. They're not go- that's not the news. What's news is the buildings on fire. Yeah, they want salacious stuff. You know don't what I mean? They? So, yeah. so when I grew up in Bronx River houses, it was a mosaic of cultures, and it was a beautiful thing. I, Miss Rapoli, my Italian next door neighbor, taught me Italian songs when I was a little kid. Down the hall, Miss Brown, a Jewish lady. All we all were were were, were friends. Up up upstairs were the the Fosters, a Spanish family. And it was everyone in the building was just very close. It wasn't even about color. Mm. At that time, you could actually leave your door open. Uh, everyone's door, front door, in the projects, had a chair propped up so you come in and out when you want. That's really? how. Yeah, a- absolutely, absolutely. That's my memories of growing up in public housing. And then, when heroin hit, which was about the early '60s that's when things started to slowly slip off the edge because public housing was designed for working families, low-income working families, to have uh, a a chance uh, to be able to move up without having the stresses and strains of paying a lot of money. So my mother and father, both working people, uh, had four children. Uh, My father, my mother put my father out before I was born. I didn't know that story until my mother was, was actually sick and dying. Yeah. But she f- had the, the wherewithal to be able to put us in an environment uh, by her own doing that was positive and strong and uh, a, a place to grow. She ran the Tenants Association. She ran the Tenant Patrol. She ran the Garden Program. She ran the Summer Youth Program. And she was the crossing guard on the corner. So my mother had eyes everywhere. And back then, it was a village. And it did take a village to raise a child. So if you did something and your mother didn't see it, by the time you got home, your mother saw it. Yeah. So now you had to answer to her and the person, because now she's embarrassed that someone had to tell her that they saw one of your kids doing X, Y, and Z. And it could be something as simple as walking across the grass. Yeah. Really? Yeah. So the disciplines as time went on started to change in public housing because um, the ACLU came along, which is the, uh, it's an association that fights for everyone's rights, human rights, basically said that the screening process to get into public housing was an unfair process based on the fact that if you didn't have a job, you couldn't get into public housing, which that was the rule. You had to be screened when I was a kid to get into public housing. And when that changed is when some of the element that came in um, made the whole fabric change yeah. of, of public housing. My mother was very upset about that. But at the same time, I, at my age and many years ago, I understand. 
Mm. People need a place to live. Public housing, it, they, don't forget, is public housing. Yeah. The problem is, is that the screening process allowed people to do things uh, when they took that away that shouldn't be done. And also, like I said, heroin came in. And when that came in, it was the doors locked. My mother told me the story. The day she locked her door was the day that she heard the milkman, because we had a milk, uh, uh, one of those aluminum yeah. milk uh, things outside of our door, uh, containers. She heard the milkman, put the milk in, knock on the door. By the time she got to the door, the milk was gone. So she's like, okay. Things are different now. Yeah. And it slowly but surely progressed into um, a very uh, hard existence. And that's not for everyone, but a lot of people started to feel the wrath of, of what public housing started yeah. to develop. And, and, and it was sad, but, you know, I've, I still think growing up in public housing can be a good thing if you have an exit strategy. Yeah. And at the same time, you go back and show someone your exit strategy which is something i do all the time yeah very important you know so yeah so within this you know at this time you've got to get educated you've got to go to school um so that's i want to talk about that now obviously seeing the, the influx of, of of something like heroin into into the bronx and and you've got to go there and and try and get an education that's yeah. that's that's I can imagine that must have been quite disruptive in places. So before we get on to that, if you can just pick a track that reminds you of your time at school. Okay, let me think. Uh, you know what? Uh, I can remind you. Hold on. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. There we go. I think you Good went name. for uh, okay. that one. Okay, thank you. Oh. <laughs> one more time. Okay, so the track that reminds you of your time at school, Ralph. Okay, so this this particular track, and when you asked the question, it came to mind immediately. It's just that I've been running so much today that my brain just froze. Um, in high school, yeah, I used to date a girl. Yeah, I was my first love. Her name is Joanne Stern, and every day of my life for two years, I was like this this. Just, I was just in love. You know, teenage love. Of course. You know, no, you hang up. No, you hang up. <laughs> <laughs> the <No>. best times. <laughs> so I graduated. We're, she's two days older than I am. But right. I graduated a year early. I got skipped a year. So while <laughs> I was running around uh, looking for a job and trying to be a musician, I would <laughs> purposely go to job interviews early, early in the morning, be finished by one, and then I would go over to her, her high school, which was right across the street from where yeah. I lived, so much that the, the teachers and security thought I went there. Yeah. And all I was doing, following her around everywhere. Yeah. That's all I was doing. But she graduated, she went away to college, not too far from where I lived. I could jump in a car or a train and be out to a yeah. Delphi University. And then one day the call stopped. Can't get her on the phone. Don't know what's going on. And I'm, I'm having anxiety, like, what's going on with my girlfriend? Yeah. Well, she said to me, well, I, I think, you know, I think it's, we should take a break. I'm like, you mean like today? You, wanna, you don't want me to call you today? She said, no, I think, you know, I met this. She actually told me the meanest thing you do is tell someone, I met this guy. Oh, 
Right. Yeah, she did. He's a senior. He plays on the basketball. This is all true. He plays on the basketball team. He's oh, but she's literally selling him to you. Yeah. And I'm dying inside. Like, every, with every word, I can feel, like, the phone, like, my hand shaking. Yeah. You know, I'm, the knot in the throat bigger yeah. than a golf ball. And she's going, he's so nice. And, and uh, you know, he's on the basketball team. He's a senior. And, oh, yeah, he sounds and, great. You know, so I'm like... I, 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 I literally like died. So then um, I'm, I'm in the drummer bugle corps and the OJs comes out, they come out with this song called She Used to Be My Girl. Yeah. So every time I would hear that song, she used to be my girl. Yeah. So that, that's the song that yeah. kind of brings me back. And, and now, I mean, when I think about it, it's very cute. Yeah. It wasn't cute then. No, of course not. It's the most important thing in the world at the time, isn't yeah, it? Was, it was, and we, we became friends. She got married. She had two kids. Yeah. We became friends later on in life. Um, and sadly to say, she passed away with cancer. But we, to the day she died, we were, we were very... Matter of fact, one of the last phone calls that she made was to me. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. That's nice. Joanne Stern. Joanne Lenore Stern. So, at school... Did you know what you wanted to be? No. I thought I knew what I wanted to be. Okay, what was that? Well, it all starts um, with my older brother. He's about six years older than me, Howie. He was the drummer in the house. And I did everything he did. No matter what my brother did, I tried to be cool like him. You, know, he, you had a drum kit in the house? Well, one day I just came in, and in our little 8 by 10 bedroom, two twin beds, a drum set shows up in the middle of the room. Not between and the I, beds. Yeah, and I'm like, oh. <laughs> So I'm a little surprised because I know how strict my mother was as far as noise yeah. and everything, and she allowed this drum set. Yeah. Because be that's about the noisiest thing you could possibly have in a room, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so, I, you know, I'm not thinking about that part. I'm like, oh, wow, there's drums. I can play. Yeah. So I would ask my brother all the time. It's a, it's, the drum is set up for a right-handed drummer, which means that the toms high to low go from uh, left to right. Yeah. Uh, but I'm left-handed. So he would always say to me, you can play the drums, just don't switch them around because the room is too small. I didn't care. I was like, of course, you know, just let me play. So at the time, I had just seen uh, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Okay. So they were such a big influence over those few years. Yeah. So I used to imitate uh, Ringo when I would play because Ringo was the happiest drummer I've yeah. ever seen in my life. Like he looked like every day he was having the best time. Yeah. So I'm playing, imitating him, but I'm crossing my left hand over to the right side because that's where the ride symbol was. Yeah. So I learned how to play that way open-handed uh, on the hi-hat, which believe it or not, ended up uh, being uh, an attribute to yeah. my forward motion. So that was the biggest Ringo star. That was one of the biggest influences in my life. And then uh, Art Blakey, Buddy Rich, you know. But at that point, when there's a drum kit in your room and you're, you're starting to play it, like, and, and you was listening and absorbing all the music you've just mentioned there. Yeah. Was you deconstructing the music? Was you working? Was you separating the drums from it in your, in, in, and sort of working out how that was put together? Yeah. Um, one of the things I talk about in my master class is just that. When you, when you don't have an instructor or someone teaching you, th the tools that you can use is by listening to the record and trying to figure out exactly what the drummer was is playing 
Yeah. And that's what I used to do, just listen, isolate the drums and try to figure out every little nuance that I heard. Yeah. And then I would try to do it. And one thing that my mother bought me, which was probably the greatest tool, is she brought me a cassette uh, player yeah. that you can record. Yeah. So I would record every time that I imitated a drummer uh, and then stuff that I would make up and I would listen back to it and go, you know, that was good. That wasn't really good. I need to yeah. try that again. And I would keep taping, not realizing that I'm honing in on getting, making my ears listen in a precise way. Yeah. I didn't know that's what was happening, but that's what was going on. So that that's what most drummers do. Well, I'm going to pick back up on where we're at at the moment after the next track. So I want to sort of see how your journey got into to playing at a, a level that you're playing at now. Gotcha. Um, but for track four, I want to ask you what the first song you remember buying from a record store was. Uh, so You don't need to look at your notes there. You knew that straight away, <laughs> so, didn't you? <laughs> so I'm in a store called EJ Corvettes. Okay. And Corvettes is not, it's not in existence. Just in the Bronx. Yeah. It's, they were all over the city. Uh, but there was a big Corvettes in, in, uh, in the Bronx off of uh, Bruckner Boulevard. And they had a record shop in EJ Corvettes. And one day I'm in there and uh, on comes a song that has this crazy guitar drum intro. And it, was, it stopped me in my tracks. I'm like, what in the world is yeah. that? Is that ding, 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 I'm like, oh my goodness, who is this? So that was the first record I ever purchased. Yeah. Was New Birth. And the, the album is called Birthday. Yeah. It's a really cool album cover because it has, uh, it's a black album cover with black eggs and one of the eggs is broken on right. the front. And they, the name of the song, uh, I had to sneak it in the house, was Got to Get a Nut. That yeah. was the name. That was the name of the song. And I learned how to play it. The, the drummer's name is Robin Russell. He's an amazing drummer to this day. Mm. And uh, that, that was a big. That was my first record I ever bought. Were record shops an important thing for you, Ralph? Would you hang out in record stores? Uh, didn't hang out in them, but record shops was important to all of us. Mm. You know, when, when we saved a little bit of money, you heard a song, you would go mm. pick it up and... and Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. And then, you know, my, I didn't go to parties. Parties changed when I was a kid. But my brother and my sister, when you went to a party, you would bring your records yeah. to the party. But you would put your name yeah. On the records to make oh, I've sure. Got, I've still got loads of records at home that's got my <laughs> name scrawled all over the artwork. I've completely defaced them. <laughs> like, you had to do that because yeah. you didn't want somebody to snatch your record at Absolutely. the end of the night. You know? Absolutely. Uh, but it was, it was extremely important, you know? And growing up, would, would, you know, at home, was, you, was there a stereo at home and, and did your, your, your older brother have records? Was, was you exposed to music? I was very, very exposed to music. My yeah. brother... Um, Luckily for me, listened to everything. He listened to every single genre of music. So I would hear jazz, I would hear pop, I would hear rock. The first time I heard The Last Poets is because he bought, my mother was so angry at him when she bought, when he bought yeah. The Last Poets record because it was a whole lot of uh, controversial tracks yeah, for The Last Poets record. Uh, earlier than that, my mother uh, had all type of uh, 78s you know, that I would listen to. And uh, that's the first time I heard Mama Treat Your Daughter Mean. I don't yeah. know if you know that. Mama yeah. Treat. Yeah, first time I heard that. Uh, I Wish You Love by Donna Washington. The uh, first time I, she, my mother loved Tom Jones. Yeah. Her favorite record was, uh, she had two. One was Tom Jones Live in Las Vegas. And the other one was this, this honky-tonk, saxophone player that became a, like a mainstream player named Sil Austin. You can still find it. Right. Yeah, and he and one song she would play over and over and over was Danny Boy. Oh, wow. Yeah, she used to play that all the time. So all types of music was yeah. going on. The first time I heard Rare Earth, first time I heard Chambers Brothers, my brother played all of that. And it, I absorbed a lot of that uh, musicality from, yeah. from those. So I was a lucky kid to be the youngest. I was it's amazing to get exposed to all that kind of diverse very, music. Very, very, I was very lucky to have my brother around because he, you know, the stereo was in the living room, but he saved up enough money to buy a reel-to-reel. Oh, wow. So he would record songs off the radio. So if he heard something good, he yeah. would record it. And then he learned how to splice. Ah. So he would take all the chatter out and just splice Edit the it. songs. Amazing. <laughs> So he ended up being a mechanic. My brother got in That's trouble. That's a cool brother. No, yeah, I, we we talked today. We 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 had a, we we talk a lot. So today he had me laughing so hard. He's a very funny guy, but he was a tinkerer. And one day he went out and took the stereo apart in the living room and and took wire and wired it all the way a speaker all the way back. He had the back off the back of my mother's component because you know back then it was the radio. Yeah. The record player and the TV all in one. Yeah. So she comes home from work and the back is off and wires are running to our room, which is about maybe 40 feet away. My mother had a, don't go had a coronary, man. <laughs> and, my, and, and the thing, my mother was one of the sweetest ladies you ever met. But when you made her mad, she cursed like a sailor. Yeah. It, I mean, she never had to put her hands on me, never had to spank me. Yeah. If she would get mad and curse at me, I would cry like she... Because her mouth was horrible. Yeah. What the F you doing to my stereo, you stupid ass, blah, blah, blah. Put my God... And she would just go. Brilliant. And yeah. But my, my brother ended up being a, uh, an engineer. Uh, and all that tinkering and stuff worked his benefit. Hello. I've interrupted the podcast again, haven't I? 
Sorry, it won't take a sec. All I want to say is, the songs that we're talking about in this podcast, if we can't play them, it's just because of the regulations regarding playing licensed music and such. So if you want to hear the songs, just go over to Spotify and search Off The Beat and Track Podcast and you can listen to all the songs because I've put playlists up for each of these. If you can't find it on there, I'll send links on all the social media accompanying each episode. So you've just got to press that one button and you can go through and you can enjoy all the songs that our guest picks. Anyway, I'll shut up, get back to the podcast. See you on the other side. So at this point, you've, you, you, you leave school and how quickly does it become something where you, you, you realise that music's something that you want to pursue? Well, I took mechanical drawing for four years, thinking I was going to follow my brother's footsteps yeah. again. And I got to the fourth year, and I'm sitting in class, and I'm doing one of my drawings. And it was like a bolt of lightning that hit me. I actually looked up. I looked around the class, and I, I, like, I could feel it right now. I went, I can't do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. I would go crazy like in yeah. no time. And I, I, I got to play music. I gotta, that's what I have to do. That's what moves me. Yeah. And, and then when I went home and told my mother, so I told her with all the excitement, Ma, you know, I, I decided what I want to do and I want to go to this. And she said, well, what do you want to do? I said, I want to I be a drummer. And she kind of just stopped and looked at me. And she said, you know, I think you just lost your mind. Yeah. And I said, no, 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 I really, she said, so what is like you're going to can you support yourself doing this? What kind of cuz you got to understand my my mother came from the Jim Crow era of in in America. Yeah. Which is honestly not too far away from where we are now. Sure. With under this new administration. Yeah. Uh but it was about getting a good job and taking care of your family. Yeah. The end. Yeah. Okay. It wasn't about like a career back then when you were poor and you couldn't afford. Only two of my aunts and uncles went to college. Okay, uh, and actually one went into the service. He he was in the uh, in the Air Force, and my aunt went to college. But she had uh, she came north with my father. She had a, a my sister Yvette. She had a baby, so her thing was to work. So my mother was a maid. She used to wash. Uh, and uh, uh, shirts for people in the neighborhood, and iron, iron the shirts, and and with with this starch that she used to make. And I'm a kid; I remember all this. Yeah. Stuff. But that's what it was about. It was about just working. So she was concerned as me being a drummer. Can you support yourself? Yeah. And me with my prayer, of course I can. I'm, I'm going to work hard. I'm going to do this. And she's wish, wish you, wish you confident in your abilities as a drummer at that point. When I honestly, when I made that decision to become a drummer, a musician, I realized that if this is what I'm going to be and do, I honestly have to be willing to die for this, mm. like be homeless for this, be dollarless or whatever else, but I'm not turning back. There's no plan B here. Yeah. It's either this is going to work or I'm just going to yeah. die trying. That's how I felt. Yeah. So a plan B can al almost always be a, a, a way out, can't it? There's a, yeah, there's a young kid that I used to mentor at the Apollo, um, and 
I used to tell him that. You see, him, him and his brother, I used to drive home, and his brother was, was a little girl crazy at the time, but he was really focused on what he wanted to do. So I would tell him, listen, there's no plan B. Hmm. You make your decision about what you do, and you do it. Years later, maybe about four or five years later, I'm watching the Ellen DeGeneres show, and who comes on? Him, one of the best tap dancers like on the East Coast. Yeah. And he ends up being a correspondent for, for Ellen to go out to different events. Right. And he sits down with Ellen and says, she says, so what, how did you come, be, become this person? He said, there's no plan B. I went, oh, my God. <laughs> Wonderful. <That's laughs> he said, there's so only cool. plan A, there's no plan B. Yeah. I was like, oh. I was almost in tears, like, my yeah. boy, look at <laughs> but, but that's the way I thought. Yeah. So the only thing that I could do is just practice and practice and network and learn and practice and keep, fall, get up, learn from why I felt and keep going and just, you know, pay forward and yeah. teach people and, and, and it started to, to work. Yeah. So most of the successful people in the industry that I know have that kind of same mentality. Yeah. And then I realized it's not just the music industry. It's probably every industry when you have that, I have to Completely. be successful at this. There's no Completely. other choice left. Either I'm going to crash and burn and die or I'm going to be successful. And yeah. that's that. Yeah. So you, the fear, the fear of failing. It can drive what, you. Yes. Massively. Yes. So at this point as well, you've, you've left school and you're, you're focusing on being a, a, a professional musician there. And you're also approaching that, that age of sort of, you know, 18, 19, when all of a sudden you can go and party, you can go to clubs. And, and what was going on? Because I, obviously I want to know what song it was that soundtracked your time in Clubland, <laughs> which is an amazing choice and, and ironic. Um, but, but yeah, well, tell us what the track is, and, and then I'm, I'd love to know where you was going clubbing and, and, and okay, what was happening. Okay, so the track is La Freak yeah. uh, by Chic, yeah. uh, and that's the truth. Yeah. I heard the song the first time. I used to love, 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 love roller skating. Yeah. So everybody was into roller skating back then. Yeah. So, and I was a pretty decent skater. And I go to the roller skating ring in the Bronx, and all of a sudden you hear one, two, Oh, freak out. And everybody piles onto the skating rink floor and they're going, the energy goes up, the speed of the yeah. skating goes up. And I'm, I asked them, I said, who is this? Who is this? This, is, this? this song is crazy. Yeah. So the person said, it's called Freak Out. That's the name of the song. Yeah. I'm like, Freak Out? Who is it? It's a group called Chic. Yeah. Well, it wasn't called Freak Out. It was called yeah. The Freak. Yeah. You know, I found out later. But from that point on, <clears> I started <throat> listening to 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 uh I started listening to Nile and Bernard and their amazing arrangements. I looked at the album cover and I was like, okay, these guys, they have a thing mm. that is very distinctive, very their sound, their look, their style, their music. It was a combination of really cool dance music that didn't feel like dance music <clears throat> that was dance music. Yeah. You know, so if you listen to the chord structures in a lot of their songs, it wasn't just straight ahead. It was a lot of like dissident chords and different time signatures. But when you put it all together, it all sounded very danceable. Yeah, you know, and that's what I liked about them. So the the first time 
I met Nile was uh, a couple of years after uh, Freak and Good Times on 48th Street where all the music stores were. And he was going in the same music store at the same time. And I was with my friend. I said, yo, I think that's Nile Rogers. So we're walking in and I spoke to him and he started talking to me like he knew me. You know, we just chatting it up. Yeah. And I said, so what, what's going on? He said, well, you know, I was feeling a little down. So I came into the city. You know, he says, you know, so what do you do when, you, when you're down? And I said, what? He says, you buy a Jaguar. And right at that moment, <laughs> right at that moment, I said, I don't like him. Because, <laughs> you know, when, when I'm where I grew up and where I lived, yeah. I'm like, if I'm down, I get a couple of dollars and I go over to White Castle and get some, you know, 20 cent burgers. But yeah. I can't go buy a Jaguar, you know. <laughs> so I had this opinion of him for many years that he was like an arrogant Flash. Yeah, guy yeah. that had a lot of money that he could just throw around. Yeah. Until I actually got a chance to meet him, meet him. And boy, was I wrong. Yeah. Oh, God, I was so wrong. I tell him the story, he, he laughed. You know, he's honestly, other than having some of the greatest music, him and Bernard, um, he's actually a very approachable person. Uh, I've never, in all these years that I've worked for him, I've never seen him treat a single person in a bad way. Not one time. If we're in the airport, if we're in a club, and someone says, may I have your autograph? Or may I have a picture? He will stop every single time. Yeah. That's the kind, and he's extremely nice, extremely intelligent. He's well-versed in so many subjects that I'm glad that the music that inspired me came from someone yeah. who I like. Yeah. I never had a chance when I got in the band, uh, Bernard had died some years before. So I never had a chance to actually meet him mm. or work with him, but I respect all of his work he did with Sheik and uh, with Nile and without Nile. Mm. They were both independently great writers in, in their own... You know, Phenomenal. Yes. Amazing. So, so how, did, how did that gig come about? How did you get the, the, the Sheik job? I paid him. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um... <laughs> How much? I'd sell my ass to join Sheik. <laughs> well, when Sheik reformed, yeah, the word went out across the city like like it was like Twitter was actually there was no internet, yeah. but everybody in New York knew that Sheik was having auditions to restart, and I'm like, I got this. I know I do. Yeah. I know that every what. It was more of a publicity. Uh, I don't want to call it stunt, but that's what it was. Get the hype machine going. There you go. Because they had already picked some of the members, and the drummer they had picked at the time was Omar Hakim, which I understand. Omar, young drummer, he's one of the hottest drummers in New York. At the time, uh, Tony Thompson had already passed away. So Omar was the likely choice, and he was doing tracks for Nile and, and Bernard. So it was like, yo, you want to be in the band? But no one else knew that that he had already had the job. Yeah. So, you know, I was, of course, disappointed that I didn't get a chance to even audition. So many years went by, and I got a call to play uh, with a local band that was doing a, a charity event at the Marriott, and they were honoring Nile Rogers. So we had to do a bunch of chic songs. So I'm like, oh, this is going to be great. He's going to hear me. He's going to just fall in love with me, and I know he's going to ask me what my name is. So I'm playing, he's in the audience, I'm playing with a band, was kind of okay. But was I'm, you nervous? I, huh? 
No, not I haven't been. Last time I, in recent years, I've been nervous in about thirty years. Yeah, is when we did Glastonbury. I thought you was gonna say that. Yeah, I'd never seen that many people. Yeah, but this particular day, I was I was in full form. The drums were sounding just like I wanted. So I play. The man doesn't turn his head. I feel like the jilted lover, like he didn't even look at me. <laughs> I'm so hurt right now. That's how I felt. Like, yeah. So I'm like, okay, well, at least he heard me. Yeah. He might have not have been listening, but he heard yeah. me. Yeah. About mm, less than a year later, I'm at my daughter's school. She's in a play. I'm sitting there, uh, and my phone is on vibrate, and I see the name, and, and it's, it's uh, the drummer. For Sheik. So I'm like, if he's calling me, he must. there's something going on. Either he needs me to do a gig he can't do hmm. uh, for Sheik, or he needs me to uh, do the Sheik gig. Hmm. So I excuse myself, go out in the lobby, and I pick up the phone. He says, listen, man, are you available? Because I have some gigs that I'm doing with Joe Zawano, and I, I can't do Sheik. And I said, I'm available even if I'm not available. <laughs> I'm yeah. available. So um, they sent me the music. I, I studied everything. I wrote out every single song in the set, my own charts. Uh, we had a date to go in the studio to run through with Nile, so it would be the first actual time that he heard me. Nile comes in, it's me. Jerry Barnes was not in the band at the time. The bass player at that time was Barry Campbell. Not, Jerry had left, and then he came back. So we go in the studio, the three of us. Um, as I always do, I'm set up, music is ready, everything is ready to go. We start the show from the top, we run a few songs, we go as far as the medley, which starts with um, I'm Coming Out. Right. We get halfway through the medley, we're only in rehearsal for about maybe 30 minutes. He stops and starts packing his stuff up. And the first reaction, I'm like, ooh, he didn't like me. This is horrible. So as, as I normally do, I ask, I said, Excuse me, was was everything okay? He said, yeah, you're fine. I'm out of here. I'm like, really? He says, I'll see you in Switzerland. So the the next time I saw him was at Soundcheck in Gestad in, for a private party. And I played the show. And right after the show, uh, the lead singer at the time, Silva, uh, Logan Sharp, came to me and said, so Niall wants to know if you want the gig. I went, but what about Nate? He said, well, he was not the drummer. He was just holding it down yeah. until now I could find someone. I said, absolutely. Were you kidding me? Yeah. And that's how I ended up getting the gig with Sheik. Wonderful. And that was just about 14 years ago. Yeah. Right. Let's get the next question. Out of the way. Then I want to <laughs> talk to you about Glastonbury. Um, a favorite song from an artist from your home county? A favorite song... Okay, let me see. Tracks. Okay, six. got you. Okay. I should have put my glasses on. <laughs> um, when I was coming up, um, one of the the things that I think everyone likes is a lyric that that hits you. And this particular group. Every song that they seemed to write had uh, either a, a great melody or lyrics or absolutely both that was amazing. And what surprised me, 
that uh, I didn't realize that the group was white. Hmm. I didn't. They was they. I mean, I ne- I had never seen them. Yeah. And the group was called the Rascals, so that was a kind of generic name. Yeah. And the the lead singer was so soulful. Yeah. That I just assumed. Yeah. That he was he was a black singer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The lyrics and all the way he would approach the songs, and I'm going, oh, I love this group. And come to find out, it was a guy from New Jersey named Felix Cavalieri. And the group was called The Rascals. Yeah. And I loved everything. I still love everything. One of the things I have to do, I have to meet Phyllis Cavalieri. I've gotten close a couple of times that people yeah. know him and work with him, but I've never... I know if I meet him, I'm going to cry. I already yeah. know that. There's, no, there's <laughs> no, no doubt at all. So when, when alarm clocks became digital, yeah. the song that I put in my alarm clock to wake me up, yeah. uh, the CD was It's a Beautiful Morning by The Rascals. I love that. Wonderful. It's, it's, a, it's so well written. Yeah. You know, uh, one of my other favorite Rascals songs is, um, uh, do you know, How Could I Be Sure? Yeah. Ugh. That is one of the most beautiful songs. Yeah. Uh. <laughs> we'll, we'll put all these on a Spotify playlist so people can go and listen to all the songs yes. you, you, you speak about on this podcast. Good, so, uh, good. Yeah, well, I'll, it's a beautiful one that will make as well. anyone smile at any, yeah. any point ever. So you, you've just mentioned someone that you'd, you, you'd love to meet. It, like, is there anyone else that, I mean, who, who else have you, you drummed for that, that, that you know, it's blown you away sitting on a drum store and looking at and thinking, "Oh my God, I'm 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 drumming here for, you know, who's whoever's standing in front of you." There, there's there's a couple, but one is uh, Paul Simon. Wow. Yeah, I got called by Ray Chu that we, Paul wanted to do a writing session. He wanted to do some experimental stuff, and he wanted a, a nice rhythm section. When was this, Ralph? This was in the either the uh, early 2000s or the late 90s, probably right. the early 2000s, I would say, because we were pretty much established yeah. at the Apollo, and not a lot of people had seen us on TV, and it was like, yeah. oh, they have a good sound. So we, we were called in, and Paul was there and it was an honor just to watch this incredible genius of a writer go through his thinking process on how yeah to to uh how to construct a song or ideas yeah you know and he would the the amazing thing is that he would give an idea and then he would he would uh dissect it almost to the point that he didn't like it and then he would leave it and we'd do something else. He'd yeah. do the same thing again. Like, I like that. Well, I don't know. And then he would. So he kept get, doing this push and pull yeah. until something came along that he really like said, okay, I like that. Yeah. So I think he, his, his writing process, from what I see, is, is that way for, for the most part. And then when I got with Nile and Sheik, he was the person that was honored at his We Are Family Foundation. Right. So I got a chance to actually play live behind... Paul Simon and the song that I almost died playing because I love it so much because Steve Gadd's the drummer on it is 50 Ways to Leave Your Lover so I got a chance to play that with him um, and and <laughs> that's a moment right oh the the moment was when he turned around and smiled at me because I was I guess I was delivering it the way he liked yeah so I was extremely <laughs> happy he's yeah. a very quiet man but very nice yeah yeah. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, very, very nice. So, I mean, <clears throat> to, to be in Chic, you know 
the nature of the music that 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 Sheik's catalogue is that you can walk out at any club, venue, festival, and people want a good time. They 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 know what they're going to get, and they're excited before it's yes. even started. Right, so. That must feel incredible every time you do it. But tell me what that feeling is when you walk out as the sun's going down at Glastonbury and there's just people as far as you can see and they're waiting for a good time. Okay. So let let me try to paint the whole picture of that particular show. So um, we get to Glastonbury. The weather is perfect. Sunny. There's the, the... Main stage because we had played, we had didn't play main stage first time. Yeah. But the the person that runs Glastonbury, who started Glastonbury, said, and it it was ended up being quoted in the paper that the best act that he had seen was us, and he guaranteed that yeah. we would be on main stage yeah. the next time we came. So everybody's fine. We have a very close family, tight knit yeah. band, and I'm not talking about just the people you see on stage. The entire crew yeah. and all of us are so close that when there's birthdays, there's a birth in the family, there's a death in the family, we all rally around each other. We have a WhatsApp feed that's just for the band and the administrative staff in New York yeah. is how close we are as an as a organization, which in most cases is not normal. Yeah, that's great. Yeah. So we weren't like, okay, we know we're going to do a good show. We've been doing great shows. We're yeah. a tight band. You know, it's almost like... You know how James Brown would turn his head? We, that's how tight we were. Yeah. You know. So Barry Gibb went on before us. I personally, as many people are, huge, huge Bee Gees fan. Yeah. So I'm looking at Barry Gibb walking around backstage, and I'm, I'm like a groupie looking, oh, my God, that's Barry Gibb. Yeah. I'm dying. Yeah. Goes on stage, killer band. The crowd is going absolutely bananas. I'm like, this is perfect. Yeah, you know, it's I, to me, music is not a competition. Yeah, it's never a competition. Everything that is done artistically is done from a standpoint of what someone might like or someone might not like, but it's all art. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, I stood on the side and I watched Barry Gibbs band and the crowd's going crazy. I'm like, okay, so we're gonna come on. It's gonna be another crazy moment. I walked on stage. Everything's fine. You know, I don't get nervous. But I looked out into the audience, and when you're sitting on that riser, I'm, I, I look, and the crowd goes up. You get the best view, don't you? Yeah. <clears throat> yes. The crowd goes up over the hill and disappears is how many people were there. And I literally went, oh, shit. <laughs> and I, I, first time in years, I was like, Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. That's a lot of people. And it was being televised too. You had to catch your breath. Yeah. So it's not, for me, it's never so much um, the audience. I always feel that connection with the audience. But when those pesky cameras are pointing at you and you can't see who's on the other side, that's the one that sometimes will will, will get me like a little frustrated. But I put my head down. I said, we, I know we, we, we got this. So the nervousness went away and I... I said to myself, my goal when I do Let's Dance is to try to get every single person out there jumping. Yeah. Like going absolutely out of their minds. And it was, it's, to me, it's, it's for, for myself, it's one of the shining moments in my career. Amazing. Yeah. Because I look back at the video and I'm like, I, 
I think we did break a record because I said that we're going to break a record tonight. Yeah. And I think I got more people jumping at one time than anybody. I, I should call Guinness World Record and see if they uh, you should do it. Yeah, they'll do a video count. Said no, you you're in. <laughs> Is Les Dance your favorite tune to play? Um, my favorite song to play is I Want Your Love. Oh, watch. Um, Kimberly Davis, uh, the great Kimberly Davis, the amazing Kimberly Davis, uh, from the day she walked in the door, I think she raised the bar on our live performances. She took these already amazing, great songs and took the vocals way, way up, which mm. means we, we're playing up to what she's doing. Yeah. You know, so that's when I think everything yeah. started to change. Everything when Kimberly Davis walked through the door. I think she's one of the most amazing singers. Um, when they were looking for a new singer, um, that's kind of when my A and R. I used to be an A and R manager. Kind of kicked in, mm -hmm. and I only called one singer. I didn't call a bunch yeah. of people. I knew Kim. I worked with Kim, and I was like, she is the perfect, absolute perfect person for this band. And I was right. Because <laughs> yeah. the day she auditioned, there was a bunch of singers that came before and after her. But when she got through singing, the manager had already handed her an itinerary, not realizing that the other girls hadn't even sung yet. And she's like, well, what about, you know, what, what's going on? He said, yeah. well, here's the itinerary. And Kim told him, listen, I have a day job. And the manager said, not anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and she literally went to her job yeah. and took the pictures off the wall and said, I'm out of here. And that was, that was it. I'm joining Shake. Yes, that was it, really. And from, from That's that, a good day. Yes, from that point, Kimberly has had three number one Billboard uh, tracks yeah. back to back. Uh, she's touring all over the world now when she's not with Sheik, and she deserves it. Wonderful. Yeah. Last track, Ralph. Yes. The song that many may not know that you would like them to hear. <laughs> um, this is a kind of obscure track that's super, super funky. So, uh, as you know, back uh, in the 70s and the 80s, um, groups with horns, horn sections, became very, very popular. Mm. A few of those groups are Average White Band, Tower of Power, uh, Earth, Wind & Fire, um, James Brown, of mm -hmm. course, had a horn section. Uh, the Cool Brass and the Gang have it then? Cool and the Gang. There were, uh, uh, Commodores. Yeah, of course. Okay, but there was one band that didn't really blow up yeah. out of L.A. called the L.A. Boppers. Yeah. That had this one song that Frankie Crocker was the, one, the biggest DJ in, 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 in the States at the time. He would find these songs that no one else was playing. Yeah. And this is one of the songs that he played. It's called, Is This the Best? And yeah. the group is called the L.A. Boppers. And I, I, the horn section is crazy on this yeah. song. The harmonies, it's a great track to have in your arsenal. How did you discover it? Frankie Crocker. Yeah, WBLS, 107.5. Radio, a big yeah. thing for you back then. Oh, yeah, of course, with everybody. You know, this, again, if the record... Didn't if it wasn't in your house, it came on the radio. Yeah. If it came on the radio, and if you, you you would tape it, yeah, and then you would listen back to it. But and your brother had a real a real, and he cut all yeah, the token out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was very, very, <laughs> very important. Uh, but that's how we we got it. Frankie Crocker was a big influence in a lot of people's lives. 
you know, uh, he was innovative, he was smart, and he chose songs that, you know, he's the only DJ on black radio that his last song was a jazz song. Uh, it was called Moody's Mood. There I go, there I go, there I go, yeah. there. That's what he would play. So everybody in New York City knew that song from the beginning to the end. He was daring enough to play a jazz song as his ending song for the night. And his, 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 uh, uh, his saying was, if Frankie Crocker's not on your radio, your radio isn't really on. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he's a big influence. Ralph, what's in store for the rest of uh, 2019? Oh, my God. So uh, I'm finishing up uh, tours, a, a couple of different uh, tours with Sheik. One, the last tour of this year is going to be part three of Sheik Share tour. So Cher's been out on tour. She liked us a lot, so she's asked us to come back for the third time. And I, and I think next year is going to be the fourth time. And then um, I have the restaurant that I'm developing and building. Uh, the cookie company is about to hopefully launch in the beginning of the new year. Mm -hmm. So that's been slowly being cultivated because there's a whole lot of um, uh, things that have to be done before we can actually come over on this side of the... Because uh, you like to bake, right? Do I know how to bake? I said you like to bake. Oh, I love you? to bake. I, I, should, I have cookies here. Yeah, I don't yeah. know. If, yeah. Let's talk about that. Yeah, well, <laughs> I own a cookie company. It's called the Soul Snacks uh, Cookie Company that I started, uh, I learned how to bake from watching my grandmother and my mother cook. Yeah. Uh, when my cousin Vincent is a year younger than me, um, my late cousin Vincent, actually, and we would sit in the, the kitchen at my uh, aunt's house where my grandmother lived, and we would wait for that bowl for, that she would mix the cakes in and we would just sit there like oh it's about to come and I remember <laughs> I remember that feeling yeah of just being in the kitchen and it was almost like Christmas every time yeah. she would make a cake or, or something and we would get the bowl and we, it, it, it's almost like you didn't have to wash it we would clean it so well yeah. <laughs> and I just liked that feeling and and there was a point it might not sound like it now but there was a point where I was very shy so what I would do if I wanted to meet a girl, I was so, oh God, I was so corny. I would like make something. Yeah. Like a, like a one layer cake or. That's or cool. Cookie. Yeah. Now it's yeah. cool. But you know, and I thought back then it was cool. And then there was a point where it was like, that was the most nerdiest. <laughs> but guess what? It worked. There you go. So um, after my mother passed away, I kept baking. My girlfriend moved in. The holidays came around, and we had about 36 friends collectively and family that we wanted to give something to. Yeah. So I said, why don't we just make some cookies for them? She said, yeah. great idea. It's not going to cost much. And So we did. We sent it out to everybody. Everybody wrote back saying this was the best cookies we've ever had, and you should think about selling them. And I, I had, but yeah. that kind of pushed me to go. Enough, yeah. You know, why don't we just try it? So I... At that time, I was working at the Apollo. I was working on NBC, ABC, on another TV show. I was playing every night of the week. I was playing at Nell's down on uh, 14th Street. I was playing at Melba's, which is up on 125th Street, uh, the Apollo. So I was, every night I was working. Weekends, I was working in a local band. So I asked Melba, who owns uh, a really good restaurant now, uh, can I bring the cookies in? It was her open mic night. And she said, yeah, of course, do it. 
So we made the cookies. We put them in these brown paper bags. It was really primitive. Didn't know anything about labeling. I made this ugly label. Yeah. Uh, we gave the cookies out to people, and we had these little $5 bags of cookies with, a, with six cookies in it. And everyone loved it. And it just so happened that the first night there was a guy from a magazine called YSL, Young Sisters and Brothers, that used to be owned by BET Network, was sitting at the bar. He tasted the cookies. And he said, I'd like to talk to you about it. This is very good. And I told him part of the story. I said, well, I'm from Bronx River Houses. My girlfriend is from uh, Mitchell Houses. She's a Juilliard graduate. I'm a professional musician, and uh, we have this business. And he said, that is a very interesting story. So I was so ill-prepared. I didn't have any number. I didn't have a website. I didn't have anything. So I called my sister, who had one of those pagers that yep. had a PIN number. And I said, Yvonne, I'm, I'm doing an interview. Can I put that? I don't think we're going to get a lot of calls or anything. Yeah. She said, yeah, go ahead. So we put her number in with the PIN number. The article came out. My sister said, okay, get a pen. Because back to back, people wanted me to get back in touch with them about getting cookies. And that was the beginning. The next thing I know, we're in the New York Times. We're on the TV Food Network. We're in all of the urban magazines right on source. You know, everything is starting to explode. And my girlfriend decides in the middle of all of this greatness that she doesn't want to do this anymore. She's done. And, and knowing her, I, can, I get it. Yeah. But I tried to run the company for a while. I stopped because I was working on all of these shows. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I met my current uh, wife. And we started back the same way in the apartment. And from there, we now have a factory. And we sell to restaurants, cafes, delis, hospitals, internet, and... People are loving the brand. Now when people see the brand, they go, oh, I had those cookies. So that's very refreshing yeah. to see. And also now over here, people are going, you know, we need to get these over here because yeah. these are very, very, very good cookies. So I'm excited. So I think 2020, the end of 2019 and 2020 is going to be really cool. And also Trump is going to get real, you know, he's not going to get reelected at oh, all. God. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you, can, you can edit that out. <laughs> oh, mate. We didn't know that for him on here. Um, oh, mate, I did not think we'd be, we'd be talking Bronx and biscuits. I thought it would be beats, and it's, it's been an absolute joy, Ralph. Thank you so much um, for having me. Thank you so much for doing this, and, uh, and best of luck for the rest of the year. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you. There you go. How good was that? What an absolute superstar Ralph was. Um, had such a good time chatting to him. And, uh, yeah, hope to be doing some other bits and pieces with him in the future. Every time he's in the UK, um, oh, what a dude. I'll see you soon, all right? Thanks ever so much. Bye-bye. Oh, yeah? Sorry. I've butted in yet again. I just want to quickly tell you about this magazine. It's called Pod Bible. Now, Pod Bible is the new essential guide to podcasts. It's put together alongside Spotify and Acast, and it's a one-stop shop to tell you all about the podcasts you maybe know about, but definitely about a load of the podcasts that you probably don't know about that we think you should know about. I mean, in the first edition, there's interviews with Adam Buxton, interviews with Craig Parkinson, and there's features on Jade Adams, and there's just 
an abundance of information about so many exciting podcasts that are out there. Also, Spotify have given us these amazing little codes. So if you do get a print copy, you can just turn on your Spotify on your phone, scan the little code, and it just automatically opens up the podcast on your listening device. How good's that? If you haven't managed to get a print copy, then just go over to www.podbiblemag.com and read it online because the digital version is all over there and it's all free. So every other month there'll be a new edition out. So go and have a look and support us on the social medias as well. Podbiblemag.com It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whiffin. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.